Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Today's episode is brought to you by Basecap. So I remember when, you know, really building companies as an entrepreneur, how really frustrating is when you have people missing out deadlines, there's people that are not copied on emails, and then, you know, like everyone ends up failing in the pursuit of, of, of accomplishing things. So email is really great when you're doing one-to-one conversations, but when you have a ton of people there copied, you know, there's going to be people that are going to be missing out on stuff. So for project management, I actually found Basecamp and I found it to be a really fantastic solution. You know, basically what they are is a collaboration type of uh, tool that allows people to really engage with their offer message boards, the to-dos, the schedules, their document sharing, the group chats, and other tools that are going to help you in taking the game of your company to the next level. So go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and sign up today for their 30-day free trial. And there is no credit card that is required and you can cancel at any time. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder. We're going to be talking about building, financing, scaling. I mean, you name it, everything in between. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Amir Hemat. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. Great to be here with you. So originally you were born in Los Angeles, but your parents, you know, came from Iran. So uh, give us a little bit of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? You know, life was fantastic. I think for any of us who were born into a household with loving parents, we pretty much hit the jackpot. And in my case, you know, my parents being first generation immigrants, having to leave their family behind in the uh, Middle East and Europe, you know, ultimately, uh, they were highly focused on myself and my brothers growing up. And, you know, we have a a father who I would say, uh, all three of us idolize as our hero, somebody who is highly ethical and just been very dedicated to building family and a mother who is a angel of a person who was constantly, you know, engaging us with every activity she could get us involved in so that we had every opportunity here to pursue uh, the, the greatest potential in life that she wanted for us. And, and that was a huge blessing as well. So, you know, grew up in a very loving family. And I think when you have that, regardless of income, geography, et cetera, you've got a huge advantage in life. And so uh, I think of it as, you know, a jackpot and having loving parents. And we grew up in a community um, in Palos Verdes and San Pedro where here in Los Angeles, it's a suburb, uh, uniquely set up where, you know, you kind of get exposure to both sides of the tracks. Um, you know, working class in San Pedro, uh, long, longshoreman community, working the ports, uh, Long Beach and San Pedro make up the largest import export port in the, in the country. And, um, and Palos Verdes is, you know, middle to upper income community where, you know, you get exposure to, the uh the wealth and sort of the access to um that world and i think it was a blessing to understand how to navigate both sides of those tracks and what learnings could be gained from it so i look back and um, i'm super grateful for all of that now i know that for you 
you know, your father, you know, was a was a really big figure, you know, that, as you were mentioning, that played a really big role and inspired you to the point that you really wanted to become a doctor yourself. But uh, ultimately, you took a different direction. So what happened, you know, when you joined med school and you took a leave of absence to to look into policy? Yeah, you know, I think um, growing up with a parent as a physician is a very shaping experience in the sense that what you're exposed to is somebody who is making a quality life happen while servicing others and contributing to society in a positive way. It's a very noble uh, pursuit, and and that's attractive, uh, I think, to most of us. And so uh, for me, uh, becoming a physician for a very long time in my life was the ultimate uh, objective. I thought, you know, both the academics and education that came with it, as well as the ability to, you know, dedicate myself to something that felt very fulfilling every day was um, the ultimate outcome. So as you said, I, I spent most of my, you know, educational career um, pursuing that outcome. And, um, and once I got to that point of my life where, uh, you know, it was I got a master's in public health, a master's in physiology, you know, uh, highly degreed and educated, if you will, in ways that maybe I don't use on a regular basis. But I'm, I'm really grateful for it because it gave me an understanding of how to align values with uh, your professional career. And so I had an opportunity uh, while I was pursuing medicine to work with policymakers in California and uh, work on healthcare reform and uh, healthcare policy. And during that time, it gave me exposure to all the other possibilities. You know, when you would grow up in a immigrant household, a lot of times there's very traditional paths that are presented to you, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, et cetera. You know, these are the things you need to pursue. But what's amazing as you go through the different phases of life, you get exposed to more and more opportunity and through a series of events, I, you know, became aware of this concept of social entrepreneurism, this concept that you could build businesses that could make money, but also make an impact in the world. And it helped me realize, first of all, that there was a name for what I wanted to pursue. And second of all, that, you know, the type of impact I was looking to make and type of living I was looking to make um, was all possible in a much more scalable way through businesses and through building entities versus as an individual, as a physician. And over time, I just became obsessed with that. And so, you know, my pivot, if you will, on my career came as a result of over time really buying into the fact that I could take what I wanted to do as a physician and what that meant to me and deliver it through building businesses, building teams and having a mission and that scales uh, to make impact on real challenges in the world. So entering the venture world, tell us about Catalyst Capital. You know, in the earliest days, uh, when I was in my early 20s, coming off of, you know, education and working with policymakers, the first business I started was called Catalyst Consulting, now called Catalyst Capital, where um, I had opportunities as a result of my network and some of the work I was doing on the policy front to work with both for-profit and non-profit organizations. As a consultant, um, I built, you know, a business that in her early 20s was pretty meaningful. I had about 20 employees and 
was um, doing projects with for-profit entities that were looking to build nonprofit initiatives and nonprofit entities that were looking to build for-profit initiatives. And it gave me an understanding of various business models and what worked and what didn't work in terms of how you could build a model to make impact effectively without, um, you know, creating a counter incentive or a adversarial position with your customers. And so that was really powerful for me to, to get an opportunity. And it led ultimately to um, the following businesses that I started as well. So let's talk about that. Saberis Poderi is obviously the, uh, the first stop that really led you then, you know, to really, you know, what you're doing now with uh, Welcome Tech. But how did you meet your co-founder? Because obviously that has been a relationship of two decades now and uh, obviously uh, a very important person in your, in your career. Absolutely. Yeah. Super blessed to have a co-founder in Growl that um, has been a, a phenomenal partner to me as we've been navigating uh, the uh, the business world, which I know can be a rarity, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, in our case, uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend that saw uh, overlapping values, right? I was working on policy. Raul was uh, working uh, with the Mexican consular network, uh, part of the foreign ministry of Mexico here in the US. And, uh, and we were both trying to make impact in the world. And I think that overlapping value where mission and impact um, was more important than either one of us, um, you know, is what brought us together, as well as complementing skills. You know, I always say, you know, Raul is the operating uh, and executing uh, ninja that uh, I needed in my life uh, to complement, you know, kind of the vision and product growth efforts that, you know, I tend to focus my energy on. And so, you know, we always say we could swap roles any day of the week. Um, what is ultimately fundamental to our relationship is the following statement. No margin, no mission, no mission, no margin. And uh, and what I mean by that is at the end of the day, you can't make an impact in the world if you're not building a sustainable platform or business. And you also, you know, really can't make a thriving business happen at scale if you don't have a compelling mission that you're very, very committed to and dedicated to. And I think Raul and I can, on any day of the week, you know, choose to focus more on margin or more on mission. And we each take responsibility in owning, uh, you know, uh, both of those things for, for businesses that we built together. So how, how did you guys meet? So a mutual friend introduced us. Um, uh, a, both Raul and I went to UCLA for undergrad. Um, he was a little bit ahead of me, but, um, but, uh, after graduating, uh, this mutual friend who was a, a alumni of UCLA um, thought we would uh, get along. He he had us meet at a restaurant, uh, and uh, and we you know broke bread, uh, had a meal together, uh, had a discussion of different work we were going to do. Raul at the time was on the board of a nonprofit organization that had just launched a new initiative around educating community members um, across the country, and I was going to partner with him as a consultant to uh, build a fundraising model to support that nonprofit initiative. And it was from that initial relationship that it led to opportunities to us to build more together. So then let's talk about Saberes Poder, because that's the uh, how you guys really got started. Yeah, absolutely. So Saberes Poder was started actually out of this nonprofit initiative that Raul and I uh, 
first met around, which was there was an opportunity to partner with consulates and embassies across the U.S. to provide educational programs to visitors of consulates and embassies and the waiting room areas uh, of those locations. And initially, we started with this idea that we were going to produce print brochures and distribute those brochures through the waiting rooms of consulates and embassies with the support of foundations and government grants, um, typical lines uh, or channels of capital from for nonprofit organizations. And so we um, we were doing that and found that corporate America was actually very interested in reaching this demographic in a major way. And every time we would meet with a foundation, especially a corporate foundation, they would direct us to the marketing departments and tell us that there was more scalable, more sustainable dollars available there versus the foundations. Well, over time, those dollars became much more apparent. And as a result, we spun this nonprofit initiative out into what became our first for-profit uh, program together, which was Saberes Poder. So we started this business with this idea of how can we provide education um, on a sustainable and scalable basis to uh, the country's U.S. Hispanic population in partnership with consulates and embassies across the U.S. And um, it was an ad-based model, model uh, sponsorship-based model. Um, it was profitable from day one. Um, we grew the business successfully, but we learned a ton as well. And one of the things we identified was that, generally speaking, the dynamic was such that you had um, a community that was seeking useful tools and services, certainly information as well, but often was frustrated with the options available to them. And you had a ton of services and brands that were also interested in reaching this consumer, but were generally just horrible at reaching them and or horrible at providing services that were relevant to the consumer. And so we saw this gap in the market and realized that there needed to be a bridge uh, to that. And with Saberes Poder, we saw education as that bridge. Um, but over time, we realized that we also needed to provide the actual solutions, um, so build services that would solve for this. We also realized that what we were working on in the U.S. Hispanic population through Saberes Poder was actually a challenge that every immigrant community here in the U.S. and frankly in the world is facing, which is that it's been historically difficult for these communities to connect to the services that are optimal for their needs and their lives and for services to actually deliver value to the consumer in the way that they're looking for. So we realized that we're in 2022 now, and uh, back even back then, there's never really been a formal onboarding integration support platform for immigrants here in the US or really anywhere in the world. And that's what led to us starting and now building Welcome Tech. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I gotta tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So 
that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieberson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then let's talk about Welcome Tech because obviously what you did there is you rolled in you know, all the assets of Saberes Poderi to Welcome Tech uh, and now Welcome Tech is really you know, what you guys are up to. But for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Welcome Tech? How do you guys make money? At Welcome Tech, we believe we're building the future of immigration. And what I mean by that is a single resource platform for immigrants to turn to to connect to the information and services they need to succeed and thrive. And, you know, a big part of our mission there is obviously to improve the lives of immigrants and their families, but also to build a stronger nation. If you think of countries the same way you think of companies, you would want to attract great talent and then enable that talent. And so what we realized is that if we want to be the operating system for immigrants, if we want to be the platform of choice, um, we really need to enable transactions very effectively. And so fundamental to the immigrant journey is to be able to make payments and to be able to transact efficiently with the optimal services that they need. So what you see us doing at Welcome Tech is we've built a digital wallet that allows immigrant consumers to set up initially their financial services, basic banking, credit, remittance and payments. And with that capability and with the ability to transact through the wallet, they're able to then access key services that they need for their lives, whether that be in education, whether that be in healthcare, whether that be in telecom and technology, utilities, legal, et cetera. There's an endless number of services that they will eventually be able to access through the platform. So from a business model standpoint, we have two primary sources of revenue. One is our wallet and the transactions that occur there. Although it's fee-free to the consumer today, as they transact and interact with our digital wallet, we're generating revenue through those transactions and the back-end interchange or transactional revenue that we generate. And the second is that we've built a high ROI, high impact subscription offering for the consumer. So part of our play as a business is that we're aggregating a historically fragmented consumer segment. That aggregation gives us a huge amount of leverage, similar to a Costco or Amazon Prime, where we're able to source better services at better prices and better experiences for the consumer at a faster rate than anybody in the world can. And that gives us an ability to charge a subscription fee, which is extremely valuable to the immigrant consumer, similar to a Costco membership or Amazon Prime maybe to you and me. Now, in your guys' case, you got started with Welcome Tech in 2010, but 
it took you about four years to raise, you know, any any capital, you know, that is publicly disclosed. No? Now, I know that for you, it was important to build a profitable business before seeking money. So why was that the case? Yeah, so there were a couple of things that are part of our journey. So first of all, um, built our business profitably from day one. Uh, we sort of bootstrapped and given the experience we had had historically with ad revenue, sponsorship revenue, we knew had to build a business you know, profitably and extend our runway without having to raise capital. And, you know, I'd say that was very much a part of our backgrounds and upbringing, uh, you know, money in, money out. Um, and we wanted to really figure out what business model was really ultimately scalable. Another big part of our journey is that you're talking to a cancer survivor. I, I, 2012, I was diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma stage three um, was a complete curveball to me and my co-founder. And we went into crisis management, as you can imagine, to maintain the business. Um, and so it took us a couple of years to work through what was, in the end of the day, nine months of uh, chemo for me uh, and then recovery. Um, and once we got our feet under us again and um, really leaned into uh, what we ultimately only built more commitment to, uh, with the business model and business, um, it was a path to really not raising institutional capital until about 2018. Um, so quite a long path and unusual one, uh, but one that we could do because we had a business model that was profitable um, and that we could, you know, continue to grind away at to figure out the product market fit, figure out the business model that scales. And I would tell you, you know, uh, it's not at a lack of scars on our backs that we have gotten to a place where we have built the, you know, market winner, the category winner uh, because of a business model that really scales to be a consumer advocate and allows us to focus on creating value for the consumer rather than extracting value from the consumer in a very unique way. Wow. I mean, unbelievable what you just shared. Incredible. The stage three, you know, cancer, no? Yeah, it'll be 10 years in remission this year. So that's uh, incredible. Lots to be Congratulations. For. Yeah. I think Thank that you. the uh, that one thing that I like to ask you is, you know, building and scaling companies is, you know, is, is being able to be with uncertainty. And obviously what you just shared is 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 unbelievable, you know, inspiring. Uh, and you know, here, you know, you had to deal with uncertainty at a personal level. I think that going through that journey yourself, what would you say that that taught you or what what perspective did you took out from that experience? Yeah, I mean, so many things, Alondra. We could we could spend a whole podcast just talking what would be the biggest that. Part? The but biggest yeah, part. I would tell you um, a few things. Uh, one is that, um, you know, we don't control much in this life. And so this idea of having certainty uh, and trying to pursue that is a, uh, a waste of energy. And instead, it's not really what happens to you, but it's how you respond to it that matters in life. And, um, and you know, so much of this building of a business is much more about the journey than the end result. And so how you engage with that journey um, is so important to be aware of. And then lastly, um, that, you know, any kind of uh, 
of, of, of approach that does not involve, you know, a deep connection to both the mission and vision that you have is a waste of energy. Um, you know, we have one life, um, our time is limited and our time is our greatest asset in life. And if you're going to invest that asset in anything, make sure it's something that's truly meaningful to you and that you're pursuing exactly what you're hoping to pursue in this life. Because I think the biggest shift among other things that people would note about me, um, pre, uh, that experience, um, I had a healthy, uh, you know, view on life. I, I had uh, a lot of things that I was doing right, but I think I was willing to concede on certain, um, opportunities, uh, for the hope that, you know, others would show up. And after going through this, Raul and I were only further committed to our vision and to our mission. And we were not going to spend our time on anything but building that. And I think I, I would encourage other entrepreneurs who are spending their valuable time on building things to make sure that it's something that um, is really in line with their vision and their mission. Uh, otherwise, it's not worth their time. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing, Amir. Now, for the people that are listening to, uh, how much capital have you guys raised to date? So today we've raised $70 million from world-class um, investors. We've been really fortunate to have folks like SoftBank, Owl Ventures, TTV Capital, Mubadla, um, Nextplay, Crosscut Ventures. Um, the list goes on. Uh, and also been very fortunate to have some really great family offices. All uh, have in common the same thing, which is they intend on us building a world-class multi-billion dollar business but they also intend on us making impact in millions of people's lives. And for that, that's been extremely important for us as we've been building our board, as we've been bringing on capital partners, um, for that alignment to exist is, is fundamental to what we're trying to build for the world. And why did you go with the strategy of getting capital from different parties all over the world instead of maybe like staying local? Yeah, I mean, I think a beautiful thing, if you're trying to build the future of immigration, a beautiful thing is to recognize the interdependency of society. And if you look at our business, it involves us focusing first on the largest immigrant population in the world, which is the Hispanic immigrant population in the U.S., and building our business and model there first. But as a result of the scale we achieve there, we have a massive advantage to then scale into other domestic immigrant populations, as well as scaling our business globally. And the same is true of capital, right? If you're trying to build a platform that not only serves uh, for the U.S., but eventually the world, um, it's really important to have partners that provide you access and opportunity to scale um, with unique knowledge, unique resources. And so we are building early into our business the ability to scale not only the business model, but the capital needs that we have globally. Um, and, uh, and so what you see with our business is not only having incredible investors that are helping us win here in the U S but also are setting us up to be able to scale what is a very powerful business model into other markets as well. So imagine you were able to go to sleep tonight, Amir, and you wake up in a world where the vision of welcome tech is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, I think I'd 
mention a few things. One is, first of all, our platform and brand would exist in the world uh, at the same scale and level as your passport or a passport does. Everybody in the world would have the ability to turn on their phone or whatever medium at the time uh, would be and through their profile and data access the optimal set of services they need at the time in their life uh, that they're integrating into a new country. Um, and by doing so, they would not only succeed at an individual basis, but be able to contribute to that country in a greater way as well. The second thing I would tell you is that with our mission and our company, we've attracted some of the best talent in the world, Alejandro. I mean, you think about the folks that are at the top of the talent pools uh, across industries, and it is, you know, immigrant communities, children of immigrants um, that are there, and or those who are trying to solve really big problems in the world. And so we've had an incredible group of talent um, in our company. And if I think about what I would hope for the world is that these talented individuals continue to lead companies that are actually solving problems for the world, because these are, you know, incredibly talented people who are very mission oriented. And that would be incredible to to wake up to. And then lastly, it would be, um, you know, a world where I think more communities are coming together as a result of our platform. And that, you know, for uh, the world to be able to see that if we arm one another with the ability to succeed, that we win as a whole. Uh, and I think um, that our company, our platform, the technology we're building has an ability to contribute uh, to a world where people work with one another, uh, collaborate with one another, and succeed with each other. Now, imagine I was to put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time, maybe to that moment where you were in, in med school and, you know, thinking, hey, maybe, you know, I'm going to take a look at what's out there. And, you know, imagine you were able to sit that younger self and give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, I've mentioned it earlier, but I'll emphasize it in a different way. I think I, I've been really lucky to take some pretty big swings in my life. Uh, and, and, and I think I would tell myself to be even more aggressive about taking bigger swings faster. And um, also, I would... Uh, encourage my younger self to embrace a massive mission and vision even earlier in life um, and to to really feel comfortable uh, with this, you know, feeling I had very early in my life that maybe I didn't know how to communicate, which was that I really wanted to be working on something that felt like I was making a difference in the world. And, you know, especially when you jump into the business world, it almost feels at times like you're treated like a second-class citizen if you talk about anything but money. Um, but what we've learned in the world is that if you want to build a massive business that's successful, like an Amazon or like a Costco or other great businesses with massive market cap, you have to create value for the consumer. You have to create value for the world. We have too many entrepreneurs that are wasting cycles, wasting energy on just crap and pollution. And, you know, if we could take all that energy and resource and point it towards solving real problems in the world, 
not only will we have a better world, but we have a lot of successful businesses as well. And so I think encouraging my younger self to embrace that uh, in a bigger way earlier uh, is something now with the knowledge I have, I could I could do a lot more effectively. I love it, Amir. So for the people that are listening that want to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great way. Uh, you can find my profile there, uh, my full name, Amir Hemet, um, and, um, and Twitter as well. Spend time there. But, um, but mostly heads down, focus on building a, a business and making impact in the world. So, um, you know, don't spend a lot of time on social media, but certainly uh, love to hear from folks who are aligned with the values, uh, want to contribute to the mission and or if I can aid in their pursuit to make a difference uh, and build successful uh, outcomes. Uh, happy to happy to connect. Amazing. Well, hey, Amir, it has been an honor to have you on the Dealmaker Show. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. Love the conversation. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.